This week's episode of The Rebooting Show is brought to you by my friends at House of Kaizen. I know from experience how hard it is to build a subscription business. Yes, having content worth paying for is the most important thing, but there are also thousands of details to master. What does an optimal subscription business look like? How do you know if your efforts to build subscriber revenue are performing to their potential? Well, House of Kaizen's 20 years of growth optimization for subscription products experience has given them the unique ability to identify the common markers of the strongest subscription product businesses and share them with you as your partners. Their subscription growth diagnostic very quickly identifies where and how to tackle the low-hanging fruit or the more meaty efforts to achieve the next phase of your growth goals. House of Kaizen's subscription product experiences span publishing, streaming, software, wellness, and retail. It runs the gamut of subscriber experiences and will provide you with the best practices, research, and testing methods to get you where you you want to be faster and with more confidence and efficiency. They'll work alongside your team to discover, ideate, and execute experiments for sustainable subscription revenue growth. To find out more, go to houseofkaizen.com. That's kaizen, K-A-I-Z-E-N.com. And if you want to contact them even more directly, send an email to matt at houseofkaizen.com and tell them that you came from the rebooting. Thank you, House of Kaizen. So on that, like, explain the, the, um, I mean, you obviously must be really, really happy that you went through the first six years, mostly bootstrapped, right? Yes, 100%, 100%, yeah. <laughs> Although you probably wouldn't want to do that again. It's not fun in the moment. I can look back on it now fondly because I've forgotten all the bad stuff and I just remember all the good moments. Okay. So what are the good, what, what were the, like the, like an honesty, like the pluses and minuses of, of doing that? And did you think you got the timing right? Welcome to The Rebooting Show. I'm Brian Morrissey. Thank you for joining us this week. Um, this week, I'm speaking to Anand Sanwal, the CEO of CB Insights. CB Insights is a data service focused on private companies in the tech industry. Anand founded the company back in 2010, and it has since grown to 400 employees and is on track for $100 million in revenue. And along the way, CB Insights has also built a substantial publishing footprint with an email newsletter that reaches some 800,000 subscribers. I've wanted to have on Anand uh, for a little while now because publishing can be a very good way to acquire customers for subscription businesses, even those that aren't quite media businesses themselves. But it's very tricky to do and to do well. I mean, we've just recently seen Netflix do layoffs at its publishing unit, Tadum. But we've seen successful instances of this in, in areas like gambling and crypto. And I'm not going to count them as the same field, not, not yet at least. But Anand has a lot of experience in this, and I was uh, really impressed with the clear-eyed view that he takes to what publishing can and can't do for a business like CB Insights. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and please let me know your feedback by writing me at bmorrissey at gmail.com. Anand, welcome uh, to The Rebooting Show. Appreciate you joining me. Thanks, Brian. Fan of the podcast. Oh, love it. So let's go all the way back because I always like to get like, you know, people's like origin stories. I mean, you started CB Insights in 2010. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So what did you see in the market um, that that you wanted to fill? 
Yeah, I'd worked in venture and M&A before and uh, thought private market data was pretty poor. And so that was that was the initial impetus. You know, I wanted to I wanted to get out of corporate America. So candidly, that was probably the biggest <laughs> driver and uh, thought, you know, we were using products from Dow Jones and Thompson. And I never really liked those and thought we could build a better mousetrap when it came to financing and exit data for private companies. Um, and so that was the initial that was the initial idea. So the initial day was back in 2010. There was an explosion at the time of, of private companies. It's only so that was a good trend to be in front of, right? And there was less visibility into the data. I mean, so we were talking about like financing data, exits, like yeah, exit IPO, M and A, you know, valuations, all that good stuff related to private markets. And in yeah, 2010, it wasn't. It was. Yeah, you know, I couldn't have predicted the wave, right? Like it's been crazy since. So we've we've definitely been riding a phenomenal wave when it comes to just private market growth. Okay, and the the idea was always build a data business, the SaaS model. Yeah. Yep, from the beginning. A hundred percent, right? So yeah. you were not yeah. setting out to build a media company by any stretch of the imagination. No, I we yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think we're a media company, right. you know, at all. So, uh, so yeah, definitely not the goal. Right. That's actually why I want to talk because I, I think a lot of people are waking up to how, you know, media has long been, but, you know, will be a great front end to other business models that are not media. Yeah. Like there's, there's a world beyond just selling, um, you know, uh, lower price subscriptions and advertising. It's selling really, really, really high end <laughs> subscriptions. Yeah. So explain the, explain CB Insights business model. Yeah. So today, you know, so we started off selling into investment banks, VCs, uh, you know, your private equity firms. Over time, what we realized is large corporations, I mean, you know, the, the buzzword today is digital transformation. So they're mm -hmm. all trying to figure out where the world is going. And we had access to this data on the companies, the business models, the technologies of the future. And so over time, our business models actually pivoted. A pivot might be too strong of a word, but it shifted pretty dramatically to enterprise. So we work with now a majority of the Fortune 500 who are looking to us to either understand what's going on in technology or actually now connect them with technology companies that can help them solve a problem they have. So if you're store operations of a retailer and you're trying to figure out autonomous checkout, you'll come to us, you'll see all the companies. We've got some algorithms that say which companies are the best. And then, you know, we'll, you can actually hit a button connect and you can actually connect with those companies right on the platform. Okay. So like, who do you consider, like, like who is like an analogous, like in a different market, even like type of company for people to have in their mind? Like when you think about like your peer companies, yeah, I mean, I think there's the there's we we don't sit nicely in one bucket, right? So there'll be the traditional data providers. So if you think of like a, a Capital IQ, Bloomberg yeah. doesn't play in our world, but Bloomberg's you know probably the one that everybody knows. Um, so you, you know we have data, and then we have this kind of marketplace overlay, which connects you to the companies, the buy side, which is these enterprises, and the sellers, which is the vendors. Um, there, the the analogy is probably any number of marketplace businesses, but Nobody's really doing it in the technology world the way we are. But that's the dynamic is trying to reduce yeah. friction for the buyers to connect with sellers on platform. Okay. And you went that direction rather than the the research, like, you know, having like a, a big team of analysts and, and doing and selling access to that. Yeah. I mean, we do sell research behind the paywall, right? But yeah. our research is 
um, yeah, like we wanted a business that could scale, right? Yeah. And so I think what you have in a lot of traditional analyst businesses is a very personality-driven kind of model where it's like, yeah. hey, I want to hear what Brian has to say. Problem is, you know, it's tied to Brian now, right? And so we've built a model where there is proprietary research behind the paywall. It's very methodology-driven. It's very data-driven. Uh, and then we've also, we also believe like the days of the 800-page PDF our report are like long over. So it tends to be visual, shorter, you know, hopefully it's got a little bit of like irreverence and a little bit of a voice to it versus just like, you know, mind numbingly boring, which I think was sort of the, the, the old way. Um, and, you know, our, our general view is, you know, you know that much valued like attention spans are shrinking. But I think yeah. the thing we realize is the more somebody is paid, the less time they have to read research. Right. And so we're trying to, you know, kind of get it down to its essence is a big part of what we've been focused on. Yeah, because I think everyone, I mean, in general, people end up thinking more is more is is going to be valued more. Like whether it's like unlimited access to content or the eight hundred page right. PDF. When in fact, there's tons of businesses where and there's a lot of them where they make a lot of money basically on saving people time rather than having. The, I think a lot of times people focus on perceived value rather than real value. That yeah, I mean, sense. our goal is, you know, in tech, it's what's going on, what should I do about it, who should I do it with, right? And so those are the three questions we're trying to answer. And if we can do that in as concise and precise as a way as possible, like that's a good that's a good place for us to be. And um, you so make money, and you make money based well, on selling like seat licenses. Yeah, we sell team or seat licenses team. into these okay. enterprises. Yeah, so you know if. if uh, a big retailer has multiple product lines or a big consumer packaged goods has lots of product lines, you know, their, their diapers team might have one and their, you know, feminine care team might have a license and their household products team would have a license. And, you know, at some point procurement sort of says, Hey, we've got a lot going on here. Like let's standardize across the organization, but average, let's call it $60,000 subscription, uh, per team. And okay. then, you know, and then, you know, we'll have clients that now are across seven figures in total. Yeah. Okay, sixty thousand dollars for the. I mean, that's that's it's a little different than the one dollar intro offer subscription business. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little <laughs> a different. Little different. Yeah, so yeah, explain sure. explain how the sort of publishing fits into this because I said I think you know publishing is a great way to put on the front end of a lot of different data business models, and I think we've seen this yeah. throughout, throughout time. I think more people are focusing yeah. on it in in newer areas. But explain how the publishing part of CB Insights works with this um, SaaS model? Yeah. So, you know, in the beginning, I, I wish I could say it was like this sort of designed brilliant strategy, right? Like, Oh, it's a flywheel. Started, Come on, Anand, you know. Yeah. That. So when we started, <laughs> you know, our competitors could take you to a Yankee game, right? They could take you to a steak dinner, right? And so our thought was, well, uh, what can we do to just get our name out there? And so we studied the two people we studied was Nate Silver and uh, OkCupid, the dating site, had this awesome <laughs> blog of, of trends oh, yeah. in dating, right? It was phenomenal. And so we said, well, these are industries or spaces which tend to be very talking head driven and there's not a lot of data. Why don't we just put some data out there? We you know, basically found every journalist that covers these areas and emailed them all and said, Hey, if you're ever covering, you know, venture capital or tech or something like hit us up, here's a report. Right. Uh, yeah. and you it's a classic model, right? Like I was, I've been, yeah. I've been quoting, I was quoting net ratings back in 2000 for this yeah. very reason. 
Yeah. And so that worked, right? And so we said, okay, let's just lean into that, right? And so we started leaning into that. Then the second piece was starting to have a voice, right? So I think in general, B2B content is generally like just horribly boring, right? And so we said, okay, well, what can we do to actually, you know, make it interesting? So I think what we try to balance is sort of irreverence and authority. Um, And then we just leaned into that. And so we started hiring teams to build out, you know, and the, and the rule in the beginning was we won't publish it unless it has a graph. Like it was very simple, right? Like it has to be data driven. Ideally it should be using data on the platform. And then over time it just grown and grown. And so now it's, you know, it's our, it's sort of our front door to CBI, right? Like people discover the newsletter, they might read the newsletter for a bunch and then they realize, Oh, I have a need for this in my job or in my company. And then they become, you know, they sign up for a webinar that gets them into our sales funnel. And then we've got, you know, we score every lead that comes in, you know, based on their organization, based on their title, based on what they've done with us to date. And then we kind of, the best leads end up going to our sales team who then, you know, kind of try to show the value that we can provide to those clients. Right. Explain the decision to put personality in it. Cause I mean, you put your own personality a lot in, in the newsletter, I remember. And, um, yeah. I'm sure it's not for, for everyone necessarily, because as you said, like people are used to B2B content being dry and dull. Um, yeah. so there's some I mean, risk think, there. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is like plain vanilla is sort of death in my view. Right. And I think that's what most B2B is. Right. It's like, like you, you don't want to read it. That's just the reality because it's written for, it's written as if the buyer, that's the only part of their personality, yeah. right? Like that's all they do all day long. They just think about ABC little problem and that they don't look at cat memes on the internet and they don't like read, you know, Buzzfeed articles of top tens and all that stuff. Like, you know, people are multifaceted, so let's make it interesting and make it authoritative. So I think that was sort of the number one thing. And it was just like, would we want to read this? Right. Like if, if I, if like, I don't want to put together a newsletter that I find boring. So, you know, and so often we try to think about, let's think about the one person we're writing for and, you know, we want to be their friend who's like knows the most about tech and who also like will throw in random hip hop lyrics and other random memes into, yeah. into that newsletter. So, yeah, it's just kind of, you know, it was sort of like we, we were, it was the discussions in our Slack, in our hip chat before Slack. We basically said, well, those, that's where all the fun is. Why don't we just move that into the newsletter, right? Yeah. Um, Hip and, chat. Yeah, you're, really, you're really taking us back. Yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> I am. So, yeah, I miss Hip Chat. Uh, but, uh, but um, yeah, that's, that's all it was. And, that, you know, and then it's kind of worked. And, yeah, the newsletter sort of continues to grow, which has been good. Yeah, I think I think feeds actually changed that because I because th- I think it changed the expectations in that like when um, people started like going to Facebook and um, a little less LinkedIn but Facebook and Twitter like they started getting comfortable with seeing all types of different content displayed in the same place and there was just a switching that one it's like here's here's a family photo oh here's some yeah. call for an insurrection here's like you know a meme and stuff like this and it just all sort of feeds into each other but i think that when that happens you compete with everything and so yeah. like b2b you can't just compete to like oh i live my normal life and then like you know oh here's here's work stuff and i have a different set of expectations for the work stuff yeah. I mean, we have to earn the right to have you open our email four times a week. 
right? Yeah. And so I, I view it as like a very intimate relationship with the reader because it's there's no cost to them, right? They can always just hit unsubscribe, yeah. right? And so like we have to bring it every time. And I don't think we do bring it every time. Like I wish I, I wish everyone was amazing, but well, you know, more often than not, we try to try to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like a very pure relationship. I love it because it's like, an, you know, the owned versus rented thing. Like that's the other big thing for us is that we have 800,000 people on the main newsletter now. Like, you know, I, I don't like the term owned audience, but I mean, like it is our, it's an audience we have a direct relationship with, which I, which I do think is pretty powerful. One takeaway here is that CB Insights is a great example of what I think of as the casualization of pretty much everything. I sort of stole this from a tweet from Derek Thompson of The Atlantic. People just want good stuff, even if it's for their jobs. And we're seeing lots of new media brands emerge, particularly in finance, that are the polar opposite of stuffy. They're conversational. Some of them are very meme heavy, and they all use a very heavy dose of humor, kind of like normal life. Yeah, I mean that's eight hundred thousand. So, explain because you do not have eight hundred thousand clients, I would guess. Like so, no, I mean, no, so no, the, fun, no. one, the funnel goes, to, <laughs> the, the funnel, yeah, the funnel yeah. narrows towards the end. Um, but with eight hundred thousand, yeah. I mean, do you look at this as a marketing expense or as a revenue uh, center? It's it's marketing. Yeah, but why why not yeah. make it a revenue center? I mean, obviously that. Uh, that would be preferable than it being a cost. Yeah. I mean, we've, you know, we get inbounds, for example, you know, Hey, we want to sponsor the newsletter, right? Like, and so yeah. I guess we could, you know, the, the challenge is, you know, they'll, I don't even know what they'll pay us, but you know, they'll pay us something, but now we're fracturing the attention of the reader away from CB insights research. Right. And that CB insights research, if they click on that, they come to an event we're doing, whatever it might be, you know, that marketing qualified lead or that sales qualified opportunity is $60,000 with a recurring revenue element to it. Right. And so when we do the business, when we just do the math, it would like, we'd have to charge you so much for sponsorship that like <laughs> nobody's going to do it. Right. And so when people do, right, I generally just give them like a crazy number and I'm like, you know, they're like, do you have a media kit? I'm like, Nope, here's the number. You know, if you want to do it, like, let us know. And, you know, it, it basically kills, you know, 99.9% .9 of inbounds that way. So, yeah, just I don't think it's hard to beat a recurring revenue model with sponsorships, in my view. Right. Yeah. It's also like not my zone of excellence or the team's zone right. of excellence. Like, you know, we know how to build technology. We know how to sell recurring revenue subscriptions, like selling one off sponsorships is not something we know. Yeah. And then it, it gets there. I think it's one of those things where it's, it's better in theory than, or on paper than in reality. And that like, it presents all kinds of conflicts. Like it's hard to operate both, both businesses and they're similar, but they're, they're different at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, if I have, if I had any do overs in the growth of CBI over time, it was actually, it was fracturing our attention. Like I regret kind of all the things we might've done that like felt like diversions, right? Like I think double, you know, yeah. Like, you know, until this business has is multi hundred millions of dollars, like, you know, having new SKUs and having new product lines, you know, we just see so much room for this to grow that like actually, you know, kind of the other things just serve as distractions in my view. So we've kind of, we're really sort of doubling down on the core, you know, recurring revenue subscription model. Right. So y you don't have plans to take this sort of newsletter and build it into a bigger media offering at this point. 
No. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I see like subscription research products, right? But I think the challenge there is that I, I just don't know if we could build a big enough business, right? Like, and, you know, as our, as we've gotten bigger, like what is big, like that keeps changing, right? And so, you know, can a consumer or prosumer research subscription business be $25, $30 million in a few years? I, I like, I don't see a path to that. So it's not like an area we spend a lot of time on just because it seems like a, you know, I'd rather us innovate on the product and figure out how to get 60K up to 100K, right? Yeah. And like, that's going to be, that's just a much more fruitful use of our time. Yeah. So how are you, how do you end up evaluating then the content um, operation? Does, you know, because it's, you know, it'd be easier if you were selling subscriptions or or had an ad business. Um, and like yeah. you said, you, you qualify leads, but like, what are the, like, so what are the KPIs that you have for, for the content operation? Yeah. So it's, it's two pieces. So we call it, you know, we call the research team, the intelligence unit. So they they have part of their research is behind the paywall. And so mm -hmm. there we're looking at, um, team retention. So how many people, how many teams are coming back to read research on a weekly basis? Right. And so, if we're writing good, compelling research that helps you make decisions, you're coming back weekly. And we want to look at, you know, weekly active teams going up over time. Right. And so that's, that's kind of the North star for us on the behind the paywall research, right in front of the paywall, they're going to work a lot with the marketing team. And it's about, you know, a little bit about tra little traffic. I, I would say like that can be kind of vanity, right. It's ultimately, what we call marketing qualified leads that lead to sales qualified opportunities. So, you know, that's not a exclusively intelligence unit or research team goal. They're going to share that with the marketing team, but those are kind of like the two, the two primary metrics that we'd look at on behind the paywall or in front of the paywall. And it, you know, there's, there's, you know, I'm always fearful of like picking a God metric that like everybody just, that's the one. So, you know, you have to look at it with some nuance, right? Like we, we do want traffic, right? So sometimes you have to do the things that like, you know, have general kind of, uh, you know, we cover unicorns a lot, right? Like the world cannot get enough of unicorn tech companies, right? And so like that isn't necessarily what our paid clients care a lot about, but there's like a trade-off there where like just to be relevant in tech media, tech, you know, journalistic media, we have to cover that quite a yeah. bit because we have a lot of good data there. So is it hard to balance like that part that sort of quote unquote owned media part with the sort of earned media marketing of, of having CB insights regularly, you know, quoted and have, having its data cited because you yeah. know, look, you're sitting on a lot of valuable data that could be the jumping off point for content, right? And so you can do that yourselves, but at the same time, you could also, you know, give access maybe on an exclusive basis, say, to like a journalist and, you know, that helps get CB Insights name out there and ultimately will end up leading down the funnel. Yeah. I mean, we always... We'll always opt for the latter, right? So we're, we're, you know, as an example, we parse all these regulatory documents, and we'll see so and so's raising, you know, some interesting thing has just happened. We'll, we'll never break that. Like, you know, we could. It's just not our business model, right? Our business model is research about what's going on in technology. What we'll do in that case is say, hey, here's a bunch of journalists that we know cover that space or that company or whatever, and we'll just ship it out to them, saying, hey. Here's a filing we saw that looks like somebody's raising a round that wasn't disclosed. 
you know, go do your thing, right? And they'll go cite us and then they'll go get a bunch of color and do first party kind of analysis and, and interviews. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think we, we were trying to stay in our lane, right? Like actually the media, or, you know, journalistic media, I'll call it, has been a really good partner for us. So like, you know, there's there's really no need for us to blur the lines there. I think there's nothing that good that comes of that. And yeah, it's, it's, it's beneficial to us to get them to cite us. It leads to sort of social proof, the link to us you know, and all the good domain authority things that come along with that happening happen. So, yeah, I, I like this model quite a bit. You know, I think we want to, I would say like now there's other kind of influential voices in tech that go beyond, you know, Wall Street Journal, FT, Bloomberg, et cetera. So it's kind of thinking about how do we build relationships with, you know, those types of individuals or organizations. That's probably like our next kind of thing we need to ladder up to. Yeah. So ha having done this for a while, like, what do you think when you, you see, uh, like a lot of people say, well, now, you know, Andreessen Horowitz is really a media company that's, that, that happens to make investments. And it's like, it's, it's a regular meme. I, I feel like that yeah. keeps coming back every few years, but, yeah. um, but it's more popular now to, for companies with a diff with a non-media business model, um, yeah. to use media usually to lower customer acquisition costs. And, but you know, they'll, we see it in crypto. I mean, all these crypto companies are starting all kinds of publishing arms. Um, yeah. what is, what, I don't know what you've, been doing this for a while and like you said like yeah. you decided not to go too far into it so like what would your advice be for these kinds of companies i think if you have a high lifetime value of customer right like buying media assets or building media assets is is a no-brainer right like and you look at like hubspot bought the hustle jp morgan bought a cup of, but like a restaurant, I forget the name of it. Yeah, the, the infatuation, infatuation, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, DraftKings and all these, you know, online gambling. You know, they all are buying media, right? Like, if you like, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's like it's a great business model. We actually wrote something about like this, just the math behind lifetime value versus customer acquisition cost. Like, I think more and more SaaS financial services companies should be acquiring media properties. You know, uh, because like the economics are just so much better with these media properties that being part of a large, you know, high lifetime value company that like a SaaS company or a fin services company. Um, yeah, I think there's a ton of room there. Uh, I don't think enough. I, you know, I, HubSpot. I would say is then you know like their their hustle purchase, what they're doing with like the, you know, the HubSpot podcast network. Like I think they kind of get it. I think that's a pretty enlightened move. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, Stripe has their publishing group. I think Coinbase launched something. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes it's like they have kind of, sometimes the folks doing it have somewhat of an adversarial relationship with traditional media. So that's what's driving it. But, I, I, you know, putting it's good those, for PR. I think it's good the, for PR. You know, yeah, if, you start to, if you poke at journalists and are like, oh, we're going to go around journalists, you know, journalists are going to write about it. Yeah, I think those are the edge cases, though. I think, like, in general, like, you know, it, it just, it's a math problem. You know, like, these audience development teams at media companies who are phenomenal at getting people to come into, you know, a property, like, you know, like you look at a credit card and you know, I used to work at American express, the cost of acquiring a credit card customer is thousands of dollars. Right. And like, that's yeah. craziness. Right. And so if you can acquire a media company that does it in, you know, double digit dollars, like that's, yeah. you know, you take that trade all day long. So I, I mean, look it at, should happen. will happen I, more. I, 
Yeah, if you think about like you talk about like um, uh, infatuation getting bought, like I mean, American Express should have bought the Points guy and not Red Ventures. Like you know, I mean, if you think about like yeah. what they end up, I mean, you know, the Points guy. Most people don't like talk about these businesses are massively profitable because yeah, you get a 100%. lot of money for credit card signups. Yeah, yeah. Now there's a ton, you know, like, yeah, I think you just got to pick the right niche, right? Where there's like a high value audience. And so, um, so I think some of these metrics around like, right, you know, some of these vanity metrics around visitors or subscribers or something tend to be actually not the right ones. If you could get, you know, if you could get all of the people who care about clinical trials at pharma companies to get on your newsletter, like you can mint money off of that, right? Because the cost, yeah. the, the, the lifetime value of a clinical trial software company is, you know, bajillions of dollars. Yeah. So, uh, so it's a good, good trade. Hopefully Deborah Khan is, is listening here. Uh, Deborah and I have talked, she's got this site being patient that is, um, focused on Alzheimer's. And uh, okay. I remember we were talking, I'm like, if you could get people into Alzheimer's trials, like that is yeah. a massive business model. Like, um, yeah, and it fits with the editorial mission of helping people who are coping, um, with an Alzheimer's diagnosis or right. one for a family right. member. Um, yeah. so I think what's interesting about it is like you said, the high LTV, right? Because I think a lot of yeah. early, um, a lot of early efforts at this didn't work out because they had LTV that was too low. Like it doesn't work if you're, if I, I don't think it'd be hard to work if it was like soap or something. Yeah. It'd be hard there. I think the other thing is like, you have to, you know, again, like a focus, if I go back to things that CB Insight should have done, like just go really niche versus like, you know, trying to be all things to all people. Right. But yeah, high LTV, narrow scope. I think that's like, yeah, I think there's huge, yeah. huge opportunities there. So expl um, explain the narrow sort of focus. Did you guys go too broad at some point? Yeah, I think, you know, like we, we're a horizontal platform, right? So we have mm -hmm. aerospace and defense companies, we have tobacco companies, we have financial services companies, we have healthcare companies, like everybody uses us, right? But when, if I, you know, if I look at it, which industries are seeing the most technology driven change that should, that, you know, now, and that is, is kind of the way we think about it now, right? So where's there a lot of tech driven dislocation? Where, there, where is there a lot of vendor kind of activity? And then where, um, where's there a lot of new insurgent competitors, right? Like that is what creates uncertainty for incumbents and creates a need to act, right? That's where we should, that's, you know, I think now what we are doubling down on is those specific industries in the beginning and we were bootstrapped for the first six years. So I think that, you know, you have to be sort of opportunistic. So anybody shows up with money, you're like, yeah, I think we can do that. And then you figure <laughs> out afterwards what you do. Right. So I think part of it was just, you know, it was out of necessity, but yeah, I think if we would have narrowed in on, specific industries or even specific sub functions within those industries, you know, I think, you know, who knows, you know, it's a counterfactual, so I don't know exactly what the impact would have yeah. been, but, um, but I think it could have been, you know, it, it might've changed our trajectory. You know, I'm pretty happy with the trajectory as it's been, but you know, I always want more growth. Yeah. My takeaway here is that getting into publishing isn't for the faint of heart. I think too many companies underestimate just how long it will take and how hard it is to have impact. Perseverance is the name of the game, always. That's why we see big talk and press releases, and, and then companies end up cutting the publishing group because it's a nice to have, not a must have. You have to be in it for the long term. I, I think for the approach, it's 
it always needs a data angle and like a proprietary data angle for it to make sense for you guys? For us, yeah. Because ultimately, like we want to be able to say, hey, you want to know where this came from? You can get it on the CBI platform. You know, if you want to do research or if you want to do an analysis like this, you can do it on the CBI platform. So we're always trying to tie it back to something we have on platform. Yeah, um, yeah that's that's pretty important to us. And then the other big one is now because of the newsletter and other things, companies actually give us data that's kind of what we call off the grid. So, you know, data that's not publicly available about who their customers are and their pricing and their revenue. So that becomes like another, you know, big thing that we want to point back to is, hey, this is information only available on CB Insights. Right. But the, but the ambition is not to build like the new Bloomberg. Bloomberg News. I mean, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yes. Not Bloomberg you'll take, News. You'll take, you'll take the Bloomberg data Bloomberg. business. I'll take the Bloomberg, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll take that uh, data business all day long. But yeah, I, I don't think, uh, you know, I think we'll do, we'll continue to do more content and more research, but news, uh, you know, I there's just so many people who are good at it that, like, I'm not sure we have any right to be doing anything there. Well, it's also a headache. I mean, like, uh, you're, you're in the like media business, like the first time you lose a major client because of something you wrote. And like most, most companies yeah. have zero, zero interest in that. So that's why I sort of, you know, I do roll my eyes a little bit when people are saying, Oh, we're building like, you know, we're going to disrupt journal. I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. You're, you're experts. Yeah. You have unique data sets. You have absolute value to bring to, to, to your audience and to help your business. But at the same time, like you've got zero interest in losing business because of something you wrote. So, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I will say like, we've lost clients because of stuff in the newsletter. Right. But like that tends not to be because of, a, of breaking news. It's because we made some offhand comment about, yeah. you know, this market and folks were precious about that. So, right. you know, but yeah, I, but that's a sign yeah, of what to come. I mean, that's just the reality of the publishing business is you regularly lose clients because of what you write. Like, it's just, you know, whether they say it or not, like, it's just the yeah. part of doing business as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I think most people I, are in different businesses. They don't want to deal with that. They're like, we didn't sign up for this. Yeah. We, we yeah, signed up for lower CAC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We want, you know, high LTV, lower CAC, you know, stick around for many, many years as a customer. Like it's a, yeah, it's, it's, there's some nuance and complication below, below, you know, behind the scenes, but it's, it's a math equation at the end of the day. Yeah. So what, what is the, like, how do you end up boiling down the LTV? I mean, you say 60,000 is the average. So, I mean, you can, you don't have to convert that many people for your publishing to be worthwhile then I would guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, when we initially, you know, when we would look at sponsorships and stuff and, you know, based on a, a simple kind of, you know, Hey, what, what, what's that? Uh, price per million or whatever kind of yeah. you know, media metric, right? Like we couldn't find a way that that would ever look as good as the subscription, right? Um, and so our job is to acquire you and then keep you happy and retain you for a long time, right? And so our yeah. LTV is just how long we're going to keep you around for. Um, yeah, and then the cost of research, I mean, I think, it, you know, if we were to go try to cover a new vertical, right, that there's some setup cost there, right, in the sense of we have to go hire people who are familiar with, who are passionate about that industry. We have to make sure we have data coverage in that area. But right now, that's not what we're doing. We're doubling down on the spaces we already know well. So, yeah, it's a really high leverage kind of model 
in the sense of we just need to cover more and more. So, you know, you think about uh, you know, retail, right? Before we can thought of it as retail, now we're thinking of it as store operations versus supply chain versus merchandising versus, you know, any number, HR. And so we're thinking about like sub functions within and how do we go deep on those? Um, so yeah, just continuing to kind of peel back and, and build, we call it liquidity, build liquidity for each persona within these large industries that we already go after. Um, yeah. But yeah, the economics work well at, you know, our price point, you know, we have to figure out how to continue to add value. And, you know, when we started the company, our price point was, you know, a few thousand dollars a year. Right. And so, uh, and, you know, we realized that was a terrible pricing model and, you know, figured out a bunch of things around who our customer is and how they think about buying. And yeah, we moved that up pretty materially over time. My takeaway from this part of the conversation is, again, the power of focus. It's easy to get pulled into a million directions, but there's tremendous leverage in understanding who you are and what you're trying to accomplish and not getting pulled off course by the latest flavor of the month. Yeah. How big is the company now? Uh, we're 400 folks. We're going to do, wow. you know, with some, you know, with the execute, but hopefully 100 million ARR this year. Wow. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, so, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, no, it's been, it's been good. We've been kind of, we've been, we raised some money, but we've essentially been revenue funded. We've never touched any of that. So yeah, we're kind of an atypical. How company. much have you raised we, total? We, we raised 10 million in 2015 and we've not, that's it. It's, we, yeah, we have, and we have that all in the bank still. So, uh, so yeah, we've, we, you know, we maintain the revenue funded ethos, I would say. So, um, yeah, customers so let, make them happy. So on that, like, explain the the. Um, I mean, you obviously must be really, really happy that you went through the first six years mostly bootstrapped, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> Although you probably wouldn't want to do that again. It's not fun in the moment. I can look back on it now fondly because I've forgotten all the bad stuff, and I just remember all the good moments. Okay, so what are the good? What what were the like the and like an honesty like the pluses and minuses of of doing that? And did you think you got the timing right when it was like, hey, we can pour gas on this because you know businesses like they can grow, but then they they hit a wall at some point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think the good thing is the best thing was you have to stay really close to customers, and so our realization that enterprises care about this data came because we were bootstrapped. We realized we, you know, they were signing up and I was like, well, who are, like, who are you? Why are you signing up? Cause I don't understand your use case. And then they would tell us and it's like, ah, that's the insight. Right. So I think one bootstrapping just keeps you close to the customer. That was huge. You build product for the customer. So I think like that customer obsession is really important. You know, the big negative of it is that, yeah, you're running lean. You can't invest ahead of growth. Right. Yeah. You're like always looking at, okay, how much is the balance? How much is cash is in the bank? Okay. We can put, take a, a bit more risk. Our fundraise in 2015 was pretty atypical. It was a customer. They sent us a term sheet by email and we like, we held them, you know, we said nah for a year. And then we we're like, Hey, the market might soften in tech. Clearly we were wrong because it just kept going up. <laughs> so we said, let's just take, let's just take, let's put some money on the balance sheet just in case. So even that process was atypical. So like, we've just always, we've always focused on building and I think that's been good, but yeah, like deprivation, like creates motivation, right? Like what, you know, I think our early team, like, you know, didn't have a lot of pedigree and I didn't either. Like I'd put them head to head against any team 
in terms of what we were able to do with limited resources, right? And I think like scarcity is a is a good thing, and I I still think we run like that quite a bit. Like you know, where the offices are a bit nicer, there's not mice running around in the offices anymore and stuff <laughs> like that. But uh, and nobody's really in the office. But you know, like I still think we run kind of lean and mean when we hire folks. If you're not used to sort of a scarcity mindset and you're used to just like, hey, I can just have money and throw money at this problem, like. One, you're probably not going to get hired at CBI, but if you do, it's unlikely you're going to be successful. So I think it's like been a good thing culturally for us, but yeah, like early days, I just got married when I started the company. Like, yeah, kind of not fun to like, just personally, it's not as much fun for sure because your friends are hitting their prime earning time in their life and going on vacation and you're always like, well, we're busy. And it's like, the reality is that we're just poor. As my favorite philosopher, the Eagles center, J- Jason Kelsey, says, um, hungry dogs run faster. So there we go. I like it. Yeah. Awesome. Anand, thank you so much. Appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. This is great. Have a good day, guys. My final takeaway is that overnight success stories are rare and building something meaningful and sustainable takes a long time. I can empathize with impatience, I certainly have it often, but in the end, persistence and perseverance pay off in spades. Thank you for listening this week. We will be back next week with a new episode. The Rebooting Show is produced by Pod Help Us. Podcasts are a great way to expand your client base. Pod Help Us lets you focus on having engaging conversations, giving your brand the full stack of services needed for a professional look and sound. Start your podcast today at podhelp.us.